Good morning, Good News Church. Would you please rise for the reading of the scripture? My name is Sharon Davis, and I'll be reading from Luke 6, chapter 6, 43 through 49 from the message. You don't get wormy apples off of a healthy tree, nor good apples off of a diseased tree. The health of the apple tells the health of the tree. You must begin with your own life-giving lives. It's who you are, not what you say and do, that counts. Your true being brims over into true words and deeds. Why are you so polite with me, always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, but never doing a thing I tell you? These words I speak to you are not additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. If you work the words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid a foundation of his house on bedrock. When the river burst its banks and crashed against the house, nothing could shake it. It was built to last. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a dumb carpenter who built a house but skipped the foundation. And when the swollen river came crashing in, it collapsed like a house of cards. It was a total loss. May the Lord add a blessing to this in you today. Thank you. Morning. You can be seated. All right. Sharon is such a good role model to the younger women, including myself at Good News Church, and has been so supportive at our real events and um, is very encouraging and willing to do whatever um, is needed. And so I really respect um, and appreciate Sharon. So thank you for doing that this morning. God, we give this morning to you, be glorified in all we do and say in Jesus' name, amen. I have to tell you, I was pretty wound up in the first service and um, pretty much like shot some things pretty straight. So we'll see what happens in this service, but hopefully you don't get your feelings hurt. First thing, um, since it's Mother's Day, a lot of people, I think, know my family, but a lot of people don't. And so I thought, I've never done this before, but I thought you might be interested in seeing my kids. Um, my oldest son is Levi. He's um, 20 years old. He just finished his sophomore year at UNO political science and economics major, and he doesn't live at home anymore. He lives in a house um, with a bunch of Christian guys that's like in Benson, North Omaha-ish kind of area. Sam is just graduating from high school this week. He is um, really into arts and music and things like that. He's planning on attending UNO and majoring in graphic design this year. And then Anne is our third. She's 16. She's a sophomore in high school, going to be a junior, and she is introverted. She's very studious, and she's super involved in good news worship stuff around here. So that's, those are my kids. I thought you might uh, like to meet them if you never have. So that's, there's that. All right. So I just wanted to acknowledge uh, the women that are here this morning. You know, I think children affect all women, whether or not you have children. Um, for example, you, there's those that have had children in a traditional marriage setting. There's single moms that have one or more children uh, with, a, with a male not in the picture anymore. We have women who have given up children for adoption or have lost custody of children. And we oftentimes don't know who those women are in our church. We only see the people that have custody of their children or have 
have living children, and a lot of times we don't um, realize the other children that are represented in a room like this. We have couples that are infertile. Um, we have loss of children to miscarriage um, or stillborns. And then we have single people that want to have children but aren't in a relationship um, but have the desire to have children as well. And so... Um, you know, there's um, there's just a lot of ways children affect women regardless. For example, if you choose not to have children, then you have the societal pressures of why aren't you having kids and stuff like that. It's like no matter what, um, women are impacted by 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 kids. And so it's a big deal. So then if we have kids, we, there's, we worry about the birth of them, the raising of them, the failures of them, or the lack of them, the death of them. We're connected to kids. And so, and it, and it spans the entire lifespan. Even little girls will have, you know, how many kids do you want to have? And they'll already be thinking about kids and if they want to have them and that sort of a thing. Um, and I think, you know, it's um, interesting because actually infertility, I think, is one of the strongest drives in in humankind. I mean, there's, um, you could say sex drive is really strong, but if you've ever met like um, a family that is unable to have children, it's a huge thing. And that is the same in the Bible. You know, you see that a lot in the Bible as well. And I think for those of us that have never struggled with infertility, it's impossible to understand the, um, the energy and the passion it takes to process that type of thing in your life. So anyway, I was wondering if the guys would stand and give a strong, mighty round of applause for everyone who's been affected by children in any way. Thank you so much for doing that. This morning, we're going to talk about the passage that Sharon just read, and we're going to talk about it in the context of women, but I have to be upfront about this. I'm going to really address this passage in the context of all of us trying to take a little spin um, in terms of the context of women, but it's a really, really awesome passage, and it's, it's, it's such a great passage because it's super direct about what Jesus values. It's, it tells you what is important. It talks about the reality of hypocrisy the reality of not living the life we desire. It talks about the reality of failure, the reality of having freedom from what other people think. But basically, um, basically this passage, you have the, basically the story about the tree, you have the story about the house on the rock, and then you have a middle section, a couple verses where Jesus is basically saying, listen up, this is what I have to say about this. But basically all of the, all three sections in what we read essentially deal with two things. They deal either with what is seen or with what is unseen. And Jesus is talking about throughout this passage, he's saying, you know, look at, you're doing this, what's seen, but what's really important is this. And he restates that in many different ways and from many different angles in this passage. But it's basically the surface, under the surface, above the surface, short term versus long term. And it's the seen and the unseen. So I'm going to keep using phrases. I'm actually not going to reread any of the verses from the passage that Sharon read but I'm going to keep using phrases that are in those verses and explain it in this word picture using those phrases. And I think you'll get what I mean here in just a second. But basically, um, you have 
let's see if we can, if I can get this right. You know, I don't think I turned this on and they're just being kind to me by showing the first slide. Okay. There we go. All right. So we have the two things. We have the tree with the roots and we have the house with the foundation. Jesus talks about that a lot. He says, if you have bad roots, your, your tree on the top is going to be junk. You know, you're going to do, everything is going to be gross. And then he has the foundation. He basically says, if you don't have a foundation, your house is going to eventually fall down, break to dust. You're going to have nothing, you know? So basically we're talking about what is seen versus what is unseen. And so what is seen is this, if you're rich or you're poor, uh, if you're heavy or if you're thin, if you have good manners, you know, like we try to teach our kids, shake the hand firmly and look them in the eye, you know, and that's a good thing to do, you know? And that's something that's seen. If the kid shakes your hand firmly and looks in your eye, they must be a good kid that does what their parents tell them to do. Right. And then we have, um, how you dress, if you have tattoos, if your pants sag, or if you like buy everything off of Zippo, or if your weave is expensive, you know, or if it's long or short or house twisted, whatever, that's all on the top. You know, that is what is seen. That's not what is unseen. If you see a person that has a lot of tattoos or um, whatever, you see that, but you actually have no idea what is going on underneath that, right? And, and Jesus in this whole passage was talking about, listen, what you see up there isn't what's important. It's like, it's what you do is the foundation, not what you say. And we all have examples from our personal life. I have no doubt that we have examples from our personal life of people that say stuff, but they don't do stuff. You know, uh, it could be a, a person that's working on your house or that works at the, I'm going to pick up that shift for you. They don't pick up that shift for you, you know, or I had like when I was um, sometimes in school, there'll be people that are, that talk like they know what they're talking about, you know, like they're flipping around all these formulas and how many pages they wrote last night when they stayed up till 2am, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, I think they're just blowing smoke. I don't think they, any of that is true at all, but they're talking about this and talking about that. I think doctors have to deal with that all the time when patient says this and they think, I don't know about that. Um, but anyway, you can tell like on the upside, like if you have a, if you have, have an accent or your name has, shows a certain ethnicity by the way it's spelled or something like that. And that's on the outside and people might, you know, judge you on that, judge what you like to eat based on that or, or what part of town you live in or whatever. The point is, is it's, it's on the outside. And, and Jesus says, actually what's going on underneath, what's going underneath is actually what makes you smart. Because if you lay this right foundation and you work it into your life, Jesus says, if you focus on this and you work it into your life, you're actually smarter. You're actually smarter than somebody that does this. Now, here's the problem with this is that what's on top? You can't see what's below, right? So you could look awesome, awesome on the outside. You could look like rich. You could have like just had a haircut. You could be driving a nice car, whatever you could. But, and then it says, and that's what everybody notices as well. Does anybody go up to a tree and say, wow, those, that tree has awesome roots, you know, or go up to, you go to somebody's house to visit and you're like, man, the foundation of your house is awesome. You know, no, never. It's, it's, it's not what, and it's hard to tell quality until time passes. However, Jesus doesn't seem to value that level too much. While underneath, these are unseen, 
both the roots and the foundation unseen, not too much to look at. You know, you're probably not going to laminate that poster and hang it in your living room unless this message speaks to you so deeply that you decide um, more impo- it's more important than what is seen. It's essential for long-term success or survival. And Jesus clearly values this level more, very interestingly. Now, um, so it, Jesus is saying, basically, if you focus on the bottom area, you are actually smarter than like Stephen Hawkins, a college professor, a cardiothoracic surgeon, whatever. This is more important, and this actually makes you smart. Now, let's see. This is, okay, so this is what happens in our world that we're in for women, okay? This is HDTV, Food Network, reality television, Instagram with our outfits, makeup, home, hobbies. The makeup industry, by the way, has changed due to YouTube videos and the Kardashians such that it's $14.9 billion industry driven by millennials. And Kim Kardashian's perfume bottle pretty much epitomizes the values of our culture, right? And, and distorts the image of women. So they're basically on top. The world is telling us what our tree should look like or what our house should look like. Um, and so, for example, our house should look like we need shiplap. We need a lot of fresh basil. We need contouring and baking our face. We need complicated meal preparation, lip injections, certain types of muscles, but not too many muscles. And, and then you have for, for the guys, you know, you've got like Chris Brown and, um, and Kanye West. And I think it's, I think it's a little pump, right? So it's like, that is awesome. I mean, the guy is so ugly and, but it's like, wow, that's amazing. He's so incredible and creative, you know? And, and so anyway, um, and then, and then you have all the people that show up to work every day, like Pastor Mark and Morris Jackson, you know, or JD, right? Um, that, that basically, basically it's like, well, their tree doesn't look like that, right? Now, so basically it has come down to, um, how that we cannot have a PB and J for standard meal that meets all the food groups. And even though PB and J has all the food groups, even fruit, unless you use grape jam that doesn't have any chunks and you need to switch over to strawberry and then you will have chunks of any sort will qualify as the, as the fruit, fruit group. So anyway, but the point is, is these standards, these standards that are super duper visible. And Jesus is saying in this, Jesus is saying in this passage, he's like, look, all that doesn't matter. I couldn't care less what you say. I couldn't care less what you look like. I want to know who you are, what you do, Amen. what's unseen. What do you believe? You understand? So anyway, so this is what, and obviously this is super, super counterculture, countercultural. So anyways, he says, don't just use words in your Bible study, top of the tree. He says, work them into your life. Make them the foundation on which you live. Then everything else, regardless of what all happens on the top, Right. Some kind of debilitating fibromyalgia or some medicine that makes you look fat or, or, um, you know, your imperfect vacuuming job or whatever, no matter what happens on the top or losing everything or, or, um, or that sort of thing. All of those things 
None of that matters because it's who you are, not what you say, what you build your life on. If you think about this, anything that is on top is basically built on this. When anything else happens, anything else happens on top that looks really beautiful, anything else on top is going to get crushed down and all that's going to matter is this invisible stuff that nobody else ever saw, nobody else ever cared about. That's why you see, you know, you see, um, for example, let's see if I have my, oh, then you have this, this. Okay, this is Matt Lauer, Harvey Weinstein, right? I will. Uh, right? Lance Armstrong won seven tours de France, took him 13 years before what was under the surface came up top. And when it came up top, it blew up. He lost everything. He lost his wife. He lost his children. He didn't lost his sponsors, all this kind of stuff. And here for 13 years, we thought Lance Armstrong was the man. You know what I'm saying? Best athlete of all time, you know? And, and it was all smoke and mirrors. I get to the point now with, with, um, with, uh, sports things or, or any type of, any type of person that comes across as really important, any celebrity of any kind, I'm like, give it 10 years and then I'll tell you what I think about them. In our recent culture, this has gone crazy. We see one after another, this person's awesome. Oh, no, they're not. This person is great. Oh, no, they're not. Sorry. Is that not true? It's so true. And, and Jesus, 3,000 years ago, he was onto this. He was onto this. He already knew. And that's why he said, you know what? I don't really care how many Tour de France's Lance Armstrong wins. I care about what's underneath that surface because I know what's going to happen and it's all going to blow up. And I don't care about anything other than what is down there. Now, I had a friend, my very closest friend, actually, her parents bought a house after 20 years. They worked in the military. They had five children, bought a house, found out very quickly that the foundation was like on some type of sinking ground of some sort. It was like they had a brand new house. It was like this really big deal and everything like that. And, and what happened was is they had to move out because the house was so unstable. And then they had to move into the, um, to my friend's grandparents' small house with five teenage children. They slept on sleeping bags in the hallways of the house because they didn't fit. And they had, um, and they lived there for like four or five years like that. Then her parents moved into an apartment, then her parent for a couple years, and then they moved, um, into a, into a house that they rented, but they lost everything and they hired an attorney. And then the paperwork was lost. The builder never paid a dime. They never got any money out of that house. And they lived for nine years in temporary or rented housing, trying to rebuild their lives. Her dad ended up going back to college on his GI Bill from the military to try to be employable in another job. All the while they're living, this is exactly what it was. And they, the house looked awesome. It looked awesome on the outside. How often do we go, if we're searching for a house, do we go and we look and we say, let me just head into this house because I think I'm going to buy it based on the foundation. 
HDTV people, we know what to look for. How many of us, I will, well, how many of us will, how many of us will uh, ever go in thinking, well, I'm going to just look to see if there's any cracks around the foundation. You know what I'm saying? We hardly ever, ever do unless we're in construction. We know to look for that. Other than that, we're looking for up. We're looking for HGTV. Does it have the right paint color? Does it have the right walls? Well, that's exactly what we do to one another. And that's exactly what we do to ourselves. We fool ourselves into thinking that we are strong, we have what it takes, we can withstand anything, you know, we've got our our lives together or whatever. And then the first time that something comes in, we're so surprised. We become disillusioned with God. We become um, disillusioned with our spouse or disillusioned with our kids or whatever because that comes in because we have fooled ourselves into thinking that um, this is not the case for our lives. It takes a lot of focus and awareness and biblical paradigm perspective to refocus ourselves to really value what is underneath versus what is above. Now, here's another perspective of how I think some people, especially Christians, are. Underneath, their rooted system is going deep. They are growing in Christ deep down. And we, I know certain people, individuals in this congregation where something happens, they lose a visa, they're separated from their family or these major things happen in their life. And you think, how do they handle that kind of pressure? How do they handle it? And then the rest of us, it's like, if we didn't get a parking spot, we think God is against us. I'm switching churches. I hate worship. You know, it's just. Everything stinks, you know, and, and then other people, what is it? Is this? And sometimes that process, that time over time, because Jesus said, build your foundation for your life, this direction, and then you work back up. Remember, Jesus doesn't care too much about what's going on up top. He's caring about building what's down there as mothers. Of course, that's what we need to be worried about as well. Um, I think. Um, a lot of times this is for free here. A lot of times like parents, I can focus on maybe things. Um, this isn't related to my kids. This is just related to my experience. I don't want you guys like, see, now I've shown you the picture. You'll be like judging them. Like, Oh, it's gotta be that one. But, um, anyway, like, uh, how clean their room is, how long their hair is, how they wear their pants, you know, things like that. They might, they might be concerned as a parent about those things. And really as parents, what we really need to be concerned about is down here. Is their heart and their conscience sensitive towards God? Does it bother them when they sin or doesn't it? A lot more important than what their room likes, looks like. And, and so as parents, we can do the same thing with our kids. We can also do the same thing with one another. And we can also do the same thing with ourselves. We can also do the same thing with ourselves. I should be more together. My house should be more clean. I should be a better Christian. I should read through the Bible every six months instead of every 12 months. Cause that's what real Christians do or whatever. Put these kind of burdens on us instead of planting our roots in deep and let God pull those down deep. So then as we begin to grow up, we have something to hang on to. Spiritually speaking, you know, so anyway, um, so interestingly, what, what I think is some Christians, uh, or what we almost do is we are exactly the opposite. Like it's called imposter syndrome in psychology. And it's where you think you're a failure 
um, you think you can't do anything right, but you really know more than you realize. And I think that's the case with a lot of Christians, especially Christians that look like this. They think that they're not as good of Christians as they are because they're comparing themselves to people that you don't even know. It's like, you don't know if they're like that. You know, you don't have no idea what's going on. We can't judge from the outside. And so they feel like um, they aren't advancing in their spiritual journey as fast as they should when perhaps what's happening is their root system is being established. They're developing a hunger and appetite for God. It bothers them if they don't come to church on Sunday. It bothers them if they miss, if they miss small groups. It bothers them if they're, um, if they're angry towards their children, things like that. And maybe those things are more, um, you know, when, um, when you're, when you, uh, run a marathon and I've run several, actually I've jogged several marathons. Actually, I've walked briskly several marathons. Um, and it's been a few years ago, but anyway, what happens is when you're doing a marathon, especially if you're like a beginner and you're a non-athlete like I am, what you do is you print on the internet, like a training plan, like 13 week training plan, you know, and it will say do two miles and then take a day off and then do six miles and then take a day off and then do 10 miles or something like that for 13 weeks. And when you don't know what you're doing and you're not hiring a trainer, you just follow that. It says two miles. Well, the thing is about that training plan is that, um, every, you never actually run, at least you're a beginner, you never run 26.2 miles in the whole training plan. A lot of times you'll only run either 18 or 20 miles for a beginner level thing. So you're going up to this, to this line, this starting line of the marathon and what you have to depend on. You have, what you have to depend on is the training plan. And you say, I put my miles in, I did what the sheet said, and now I'm going to, I'm going to make a withdrawal. And I'm going to make a withdrawal from my plan and I'm going to run this marathon. Now, of all the marathons I've run, I don't know exactly how many it is, but um, how many marathons do you think I finished out of all of them that I ran? All of them. How many of them do you think I ever ran 26.2 miles prior to the marathon? None. And that's what we do spiritually. That is our spiritual root system. We might not have all this stuff that we know to deal with and all this stuff, but we do the training plan. We work the plan. We do what it says. And then when the time comes and the pressure's on and you have to pull out and run the 26 miles, what do you do? You depend on your training plan. And you say, I did what it said and I'm going to, I'm going to do this marathon. And every time when you run a marathon, like in my situation, just as an amateur, every time when you run a marathon, there's this feeling inside of you that's like, I can't do this. I can't do this. There's no way I'm going to finish this thing. There's just no way. And you have this thing. And what I do, because I'm super cool, is I, I um, pin in Ziploc bags PB&J sandwiches on both of my hips. No lie. The upstairs doesn't matter anyway. You can think what you want. How many of you have as many marathons as I have? See, what I'm saying is, is that that stuff, it looks like whatever. You know what I mean? It looks like, and I've, I can't believe some people that look super athletic that don't finish, but I have, and you want to know why? It's because I ran my training plan. That is what we do spiritually. Stuff is going to happen. You're going to have to walk up to the line. Your spouse is going to leave you. Your kids are going to rebel. You're going to lose your job, whatever. You'll stand up to the line. And you know what you do? This is what Jesus said. You pull on those roots. 
You pull on those roots. And you say, have I ever done this? Have my, has my spouse ever left me? No, it hasn't. But I've got these roots and I am going to pull on through that marathon. You see what I'm saying? And it doesn't even matter, matter what it is. It's like God knows what roots we need. And he says, you just do what I say. Just do what I say. And then when the time comes, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Now, um, anyway, I forget my drop dead time. So I'll just forget that. Okay. Then here's the other people. Here's the other people. They're train wrecks on the inside and the outside. Okay. You're train wreck on the inside and the outside. I mean, you've got nothing to hang on to. You're just crashing and burning. It's like bumper, bumper car lifestyle, you know, and, and it's just one thing after another and you've got nothing. Now, if this were the case and you were to say salvation is the line, that's where you give your life to Jesus and you make God the boss of your life. What, where do you start? Do you start on the top or do you start on the bottom? You start on the bottom. Where do a lot of people that come to Jesus, where do they start? They start on the top. And then whenever anything bad happens, they say, oh, God doesn't exist. God didn't work. The church is hypocrites, whatever, because they haven't done anything on the bottom. And then as soon as a wind blows, as soon as a storm happens, they got nothing. They got nothing to hang on to. And if you look around at people that I would call our survivors um, through difficult circumstances or whatever, those people have roots. And those of us that crash or burn and burn. And here's what Jesus is talking about. This is what he's talking about. Because eventually as you get your roots going underneath there, then you build the top up above and then you look super together like Janice Jackson you know, or Joni Stevens. And you've got it going on both directions, man. That's amazing. That's amazing. But this is what Jesus was saying. He was like, if you want this, then you do this. And your job isn't building this. Your job is building that. And then I'll take care of the process of, of building the rest. Now, um, so Jesus said you have to work that foundation into your life. It's like constantly repeating the, on repeat, a worship song on your phone or something like that. Um, you have to be constantly repeating, and that's the process. It's like running where you run. Why do you say, why do you run two miles on Mondays? Who cares? You're supposed to read 26 miles. Why do you run two miles? That seems stupid. That seems dumb. I don't want to run two miles. That's like for sissies. You know what I'm saying? That's what a lot of people say about the spiritual disciplines. It's like all or nothing. I'm going to like pray for seven days, 24 hours a day, eat nothing, drink nothing. I'm going to like follow in Jesus's footsteps, you know, and this type of thing. And then you got people that come every single, you know, Friday morning from six to seven and they've done it for like 25 years. Well, who do you think has bigger spiritual roots? Jesus established, God established a process of spiritual disciplines. And here's where I'm really going to, mm, um, he, he established a process of spiritual disciplines 3000 years ago. And we, in our generation do, well, probably in every generation, I don't think they liked it in the Bible either, but we'll, I'll speak to our generation, our generation. We do not like the idea of spiritual disciplines. We don't like the process of, of doing something consistently and being told what to do. 
and, and so it's like, well, if you don't want to come to church, then you might not get as many roots. You know what I'm saying? There's people that have come to church. There's a 93-year-old woman, no lie, that wrote Wall a thing. And she's like, I'm in assisted living now. And I have like congestive heart failure. So I just wanted to let you know, I won't be coming able to come to church anymore. That's amazing. And guess how much of a spiritual giant is Arlene Hoare, for those of you that have been around a long time. Guess how much of a spiritual giant that lady is. Who thinks she is probably a bigger spiritual giant than you are? Raise your hand and I'm raising mine. Spiritual disciplines are a medium to change. The process of growing roots in your life is, is, cannot be microwaved. It's like a tree. Trees take like between three and eight years to produce fruit. Think about that in your spiritual life. Three to eight years before you produce any fruit. That would be like coming to church, praying, going to small group for eight years and you still are a jerk. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that would stink. You know what I'm saying? For all of us, especially your spouse. Um, so anyway, so it's like, it takes a really long time and that's very difficult for us with our, our, our immediate for, you know, it's so there's something about coming to church every single week, whether you're crazy about God or whether you're not crazy about God. When people are running marathons and training, do you think they say, oh, I have a little itch on my calf, so I won't run it all this week. That's what we do about church. Oh, I have a little itch on my calf, you know, and so, and my kids Red t-shirt isn't clean, so I won't go to church. And then we wonder why when something bad happens, we got nothing, nothing in the tank. Like what I was talking about with the marathon. You tracking what I'm saying? It's like, okay, you can say, okay, here's, here's what I got going about the church. I don't like the sermons. I don't understand the sermons. I don't like the music. Uh, this church has no parking whatsoever. And the shuttle is never in the right spot. And they have this new name that I can't remember. I'm constantly seeing the opposite. And, and it's, it's, who knows if it's going to change next week. And, and the t-shirts are out of my size. And, you know, this is what we do where Jesus said, I'm getting in your business here. Where Jesus said, are you going to plant roots or aren't you? Would you like the leaves on top or would you like the roots? Because this is what it takes. And this is not motivated at all based any, I have no, we have no personal benefit by me saying this to you. Walt does not get paid more money if there are more people. We never look at the offering. We, there's no financial benefit to us in any way to, um, for people to give money or any of the other staff or pastors in any way. We don't even know what's going on with that. You know what I'm saying? It's nothing about that. What it is, is about we desire to, to see transformation by the story story of Jesus. Are we going to put ourselves in a position to be transformed by the story of Jesus or aren't we? Are we going to make excuses about the H and R calf and the bad parking and whatever it is that we make up with? And you guys know we can all make up reasons and I have done the same thing. So I'm in the same position. So how much I slept last night, that's mine. How well I slept last night, anything like that, looking for a reason why I just need to sleep in or whatever. And I'm not, once again, saying it for personal gain at all. I'm saying it for our own spiritual journey. I wanted to show you, uh, for example, 
This is what I did this week for Bible reading. Say, I can't read. I don't like to read. I don't, whatever. This is what I did this week was the, these are the verses that I, that Sharon read. And I printed them out at the beginning of the week. And you'll notice the circles on there, if you can read it, our circles are a lot of the words or phrases I've used in my sermon. Because this is the only thing I read this whole week. And I folded it and I put it in my purse and I took it out and around. There's coffee stain on the bottom. You can see I wrote a thought when I I had a thought and, and all this kind of stuff. And if you, if reading the Bible is too overwhelming to you, you could pick one of those paragraphs. You could read that every single day for an entire week. You could say it every single day for a, a month, a year. I don't care. All that matters, all of that is that putting those roots down in our lives so that we have something in the tank when pressure comes. And a lot of times, you know, my grandpa, I told you this story before, my grandpa, he wasn't a good reader and everything. And he lived in, they lived in a, a mobile home. Uh, no, not like an RV, like smaller than a mobile home. And he couldn't read well. And every single day, every single day, he had a tape recorder with a chapter in the Bible. And he had the big Bible open up with big words on it. And he would follow along like this every single day, one chapter. Every time I went to my grandparents and visited them, that is what my grandpa did. He did it till the very end. I visited him in the nursing home. That tape recorder was still there. He wore out so many tapes of the Bible, you wouldn't even believe it. But he couldn't even read that well. He figured out a way. He figured out a way to do it. I don't care if you can't read the Bible. If you can't read, I don't care if you have four-letter words tattooed on your fingertips and so you see it every time you read the Bible. I couldn't care less. All I care about is that you develop roots from the spiritual disciplines in your life because Jesus said, if you're going to make it, that's what you have to do. If you're a mother and you have the pressure of your kids or grandparents or you're a father or whatever, you're infertile, you don't have custody of your children, whatever, you can, you know, throw a big bonfire up on top or you can say, I'm going to dig my roots in and I am going to do this every day. Maybe I go to a prayer meeting once a week or it's the same thing. Small groups, it's like I'm sick of saying it because they're the exact same things and they have been like for 20 years, you know, but the bottom line is, is that that is how we grow our roots. Now, let me give you some practical, some practical tips really quick. Well, just let me go back real quick and just say, so every single person in this room is one of, is one of these four ways and you need to figure out who you are. Okay. This is you or this is you stuff building in the bottom, but you still look like, you know what on the top, this is where your train wreck top and bottom both directions. And then this is where you feel like your roots are deep and you're producing fruit in your life. The worship team can come. So this is how it might look as a mother, right? I'm just trying to give you super practical ideas. Um, you can be thankful for one thing every day. That's putting down a root. One thing every day. If you, it, can, it can be coffee. I have coffee. It can be um, that I found both of my shoes today or anything but fostering a spirit of thanksgiving in your life. I think it's the most important thing. Find something positive about your kids. Their curly hair is cute, you know, even though they're a brat, you know. Um, but we have to transition our thinking from what is breaking to what we're building. Transition what you're thinking from what is broken to what we're building. Everybody is broken on the top. I'm broken to pieces on the top. You have no idea. Everybody is broken on the top. What am I building? 
to put the roots in to stand the test of time. Okay. So at, philosophically, philosophically, your child is going to grow to be another tree, right? Your little baby might be a lemon or a pear there, but ultimately your child, when they get the, the understanding and the, and the will to make a decision, they become another tree. And you help foster those roots, but they are not, you aren't responsible for their roots, especially as your children are grown. And so you begin to speak, I thank God for this. God, I thank you for that. You can begin apologizing. You can begin being authentic. You can role model spiritual disciplines as much as you can. Communicating your values of seen versus unseen. For example, the gym versus um, church or something like that. How about for a man? Um, Coming to church every single week, even if you don't want to change. Even if you have no desire to change, but you know it's the right thing for your family or your children, whatever you come every single week. You apologize. You're nice to your wife. Here's a good one. You tattoo your wife's name, preferably in a very large, prominent location that will be very painful to remove, like your neck or forehead. That'll make it difficult. And here's my my um, tip for guys, um, if they're not super wordy or for women, that if you want to pray, here's a very simple way to pray, and you can use it for any context. Thank you, Jesus. A meal. Thank you, Jesus. Over to the kids when they're going to school. Thank you, Jesus. Any type of context, just those three words, that's prayer. Thank you, Jesus. You're fostering thanksgiving in your life, and you're fostering dependence on Jesus. So you don't have to pray for 45 minutes. Thank you, Jesus. Unless you want to repeat that, which is fine for 45 minutes. But um, thank you, Jesus. A lot of guys, you might not like pray over the meal or whatever. You know, you're a small group. You don't know what to say. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We can't just say we have to do. We can't just say we have to do. And Jesus said it is the smart thing to do. That means... If you want to be smart, even if you've done idiotic things, and basically you're an idiot, like you have a slow IQ and you've done everything stupid possible in your life, you know, it doesn't matter. He says you can make a smart decision by going there. All of a sudden, building those roads. All right, let's just all stand. We're going to just respond really briefly. identify which of the four you are and then we're going to sing and we're going to sing this song just as a prayer thanking God for the roots that will begin being put down in your life
God is so good. He's so good. Even when he gets in our face, you know, he preaches this amazing sermon. And at the end of the sermon, he says, you know, if you don't put into practice these words of mine, you're like, you're like a fool. You know, um, we know that wisdom is, is applying what we know. And uh, we have the opportunity today, this week, to, to take what we've heard today and begin to apply, put some application to it. Um, I know for me, um, as I'm hearing this message, I know that I need to focus on some roots. Uh, I, know to gr- I know for me, uh, I need to grow some deeper roots in the Word of God. And for me, that practically will look like this this week. I'm going to read the Bible more this week than I did last week. I need to do that because here's the truth. Storms will come. Destruction will come. It will come to all. It doesn't like avoid some and then it hits others. It hits everybody. The question is, is are we prepared for it? Are we prepared for it? Have we been focusing on those roots? And so um, just take that away with you today, this week. Filter it through your small groups. Um, and we're going to have our, our prayer workers, our altar workers come here in just a moment. Um, I want to give a shout out to Mike and Leah Mancuso real quick. Uh, they went to a weightlifting competition yesterday and talk about roots and foundation. Uh, they both finished as uh, the male top lifter and the female top lifter and the top couple lifting. Come on. So there's a mother who can deadlift 285 pounds. You wouldn't catch me deadlifting 200. I mean, I'd be dead if I tried that. Mike, 715 pounds. We're proud of you guys. And it didn't happen overnight. You laid foundation, years and years of a foundation. And you've got that kind of fruit. It's a great physical example of that. Let's grow that way spiritually as well. Let's do that, man. Let's lift weights every morning. Let's lift weights every morning. Let's do the hard work every day, the work nobody sees. And one day, everybody's going to go, how in the world did you run that race? The training. I just did the training. See, growing up spiritually, it's not about trying. It's about training. It's about every day getting up and doing the stuff nobody else sees. And I want to encourage you to continue to do that. You'll grow up into a great tree and produce great fruit for God's glory. Amen? So prayer workers, if you would come, if you'd like prayer today, we invite you to come for prayer. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Be blessed.